More than a year ago, I had Carol Wilcock and Dr. Natalie Gonzalez on Gesundheit with Jacobus. Both are working at Dynamic Health Technologies in Helena. Carol has a master's in nursing. Natalie is a doctor of osteopathic medicine. Their topic this Saturday morning will focus on the actual awareness of toxins and diseases and our stress reaction once exposed. It's Gesundheit with Jacobus. To Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. Welcome to the program. Yes, this is Gesundheit with Jacobus, and yes, I am your host, Jacobus Hollowine. And uh, as always, I want to let you know when we talk about health, which is I'm absolutely passionate about, the purpose of the show is education and information and a little entertainment. It's not our goal to be a, to diagnose, treat, or cure. So please take the information as we have a discussion, really as what it is. We just like to share our thoughts and our knowledge with you. If you have any questions afterwards, the show after the show, I would recommend call the guests uh, during the week and set up an appointment and come see them. If you want to do more, if you want to have a treatment or something like that then contact the guest afterwards at the phone number that we provide for you. Otherwise, uh, use the internet, use books, magazines, go to the library, find information for yourself to get yourself in the best possible health that you can be in. And uh, that is a very uh, complex uh, issue. Not everybody is healthy, as we know very well. Some people are very healthy. And some people are born healthy, stay healthy, and uh, there's many choices we can make that can affect this, uh, both good and bad. So in any case, welcome to the program. I appreciate you tuning in today. want to let you know a little bit about the guests that we have. Uh, Carol Wilcock is a registered nurse of 30 plus years with a passion for wellness. She worked at St. Peter's Hospital as a float nurse for 10 years, a physician office nurse home oxygen clinician, and instructor at UM Helena and at Carroll College. She began a self-study program 20-plus years ago in complementary medicine. She finished her master's degree in nursing in 2008 and a doctorate in alternative medicine in 2010. She began her own business in 2002 with advanced forms of biofeedback systems, and she continues to use these modalities today and recently finished her certification as an instructor. She's a member of the American Holistic Nurses Association, where she was introduced to Dr. Brian Luke Seward and his stress management instructor course in Boulder, Colorado. This is where she began looking for more technologies, clinicians, disciplines, and modalities that create and promote health with a focus on creating healthy people, rather than focusing on diseases. These technologies include enhanced external counterpulsation, or EECP, for heart disease, aqua chi, in-light, H-wave electrical stim, 
and hyperbaric oxygen therapy. She is the CEO and founder of Dynamic Health Technologies. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. Nice to have you back. Always good to see you. You know how many times you've been on? I think I count I think, eight. I think it's eight. Yeah, this is eight. I was thinking awesome. That. Always fun. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. <laughs> Natalie Gonzalez has spent the majority of her career as a physician and surgeon, and she has witnessed firsthand that healing isn't limited to the physical, which traditional medicine primarily addresses. It occurs on physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual levels, which are typically not addressed. In her experience, in her experience, healing begins at the spiritual level, which is also the level of the energy that is difficult to measure with our current technology. I like that sentence. Isn't that amazing? I really like that sentence. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, we're not done yet. I mean, I'm still reading, but I like the way you say that <laughs> sentence because what you're saying is it is there. We just haven't really been able to. Right. To measure it yet. Yeah, cool. At the far end of the scale. Of far end of the scale. Yeah. Um, this work that she's doing is designed to charge a person's field at the level of this energy and remove restrictions to the flow of this energy. These changes take place on a spiritual level, eventually becoming apparent in the person's emotional health, and they may ultimately be seen as, a ch as changes in their physical health. She plans to spend the remainder of her working career in a practice that recognizes the value of both conventional medicine and the human energy field. Her work will integrate both to obtain the best outcome for you. Now, for any of you writing down numbers, this is the contact info for the, for the business Dynamic Health Technologies, quote, where every day is a better day. They're located at 900 North Montana Avenue. We moved. What? Yeah. We got flooded in February, and we moved three blocks north. So we're 1,200 north Montana Avenue in a gorgeous new location. Well, my, my secretary didn't take care of I'm that. I'm sorry. <laughs> 1,200? 1,200 north Montana Avenue. That's very close. It is very close. Same phone number? Yes. Good. That's well, the important part. Well, what suite are you in right now? No, no, no we have suite. the whole lower level is all... All right. Well, I'll have to go after the secretary. We <laughs> 1200 North Montana Avenue in Halala. The telephone number is 406, of course, 431-7332. And the website is dynamichealthtechnologies.com. Dynamichealthtechnologies.com. Ladies, thank you both for coming. Appreciate it. Thank you. Honored. Yeah, well, wonderful. What a, again, Carol, I talked to you primarily, and, and Natalie, I saw you again this morning for the, you were here second time, you were here last year. Right. You both were here last year, April. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's why, you remember that too. Well, I thought it was, I didn't know when it was, I thought it was longer than Well, that. for a long time, every time I came over was in February. Was it really? Yeah, it was always in the winter, and I thought, oh, maybe we could switch it up and do it yeah. when the weather is a little easier to travel. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I'm going to turn your microphone up because you, you're way too soft. You, you that are is not, rarely the case. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this morning you were pretty loud. <laughs> Don't be shy now. I don't know if that's in my <laughs> realm of possibilities to be shy. Well, we, um, we have an interesting topic to discuss. Actually, two different topics. Right. Right? We, uh, you and I were talking last night and, uh, <clears throat> and Natalie was simply uh, not asked if she agreed with it. She just... <laughs> we talked about it first. <laughs> yeah, she, oh, okay. We, we did talk up. about it. 
she shows up and says, well, whatever. I got to talk about whatever. So we talked about the balance between awareness. The people have awareness of toxins and diseases, pathogens, and then the stress response to inevitable exposures. That was the one. Right. And as you and I were talking about it, Carol, yesterday, then we said, you know what? I like another topic that we really should incorporate with this, and it is myths and misunderstandings. Right. And I think that maybe we can do the first hour primarily about the balance between awareness and toxins and pathology and the stress that comes with it. And then after that, we're really going to hit some myth and misunderstandings. And it'll be fun. Okay. Yeah, I think so too. So the, the awareness piece, I, I part of the reason this showed up for me as a topic, as as Natalie and I were discussing in our conference room, was we have some clients who are just, oh no, I knew that was going to show up for me. I knew insecticides would show up for me because as, as part of our scan and as part of the things we check for, they're like, oh, I, I hate this non-organic apple. Now, you know, now it's this horrible thing that I've done and I'm I going see. to be, you know, I'm, I'm doomed to carcinogens because, because I ate a non-organic apple. Yeah. One. And their stress response is so huge because they're like, oh, I'm busted. I ate a piece of, you know, I ate a donut yesterday. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's something, or they go, oh, I was at this. I was at this situation and I got exposed to some toxins or somebody was smoking next to me. And it's like, we live in this world yeah. mm-hmm. and, and we have this bubbles that we'd love to live in. And myself is a total germaphobe. Really? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's really, it's pathological. It's crazy. Oh, but as this, you know, you, I want to avoid well, all nurse. these exposures. You have to be, you were taught to be over. Right. And, and microbiology was my favorite class. Of all time, you know, mm-hmm. I, if I could go back and do infectious disease, that'd probably be my my passion huh. because I just have this thing about pathogens and I see the destruction that they can cause. Well, it's made me really aware, yeah, you know, beyond aware that oh my gosh, I've had an exposure. Well, there's a different perspective to that. It's like, well, we have an immune system and it's built to take care of that, and mm-hmm. we have. Path, you know, channels of elimination to get rid of toxins, and mm-hmm. and where what are we telling our body that we don't trust it? Yeah, if when we have these huge stress responses because we have an exposure, right? And so it the question is, is it healthy to live in a bubble, or is it healthy and and be aware of every possible offense that we've encountered, or is it healthy to be adaptable? You know, it's not necessarily survival of the fittest. It's great to be fit, but is it survival of the most adaptable? Because we know people who are exposed to all kinds of things, and they live in, we'll talk about centurions later. Yeah. You know, they, they live these long and healthy, productive, happy lives, mm-hmm. despite the fact that they've been exposed to mm-hmm. a number of different things. And a part of it is because they don't have that fight-flight stress response just because they or were exposed to or came across a, you know, virus at the grocery cart. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. I think that people are careful, like you say. It's, a, you know, there are certain things. Why would you get involved with it? You know, people even say when, when my, my wife says, when we count the money at night, she says, don't lick your finger when you count the money. You don't know where that money has been. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. 
and uh, wipe the counter. So we, we use uh, these wipes to clean, clean the counters after we, after we count the money and, you know, stuff like that. So it is, it is important. You, you, you don't want to be stupid, but right. at the same time, you don't want to be so careful that uh, everything out of the ordinary scares you. Right. You don't want to become uh, phobic. Right, a phobic. And, yeah, uh-huh. and turn yourself into an unhealthy person mm-hmm. just because you're in a fight-flight response all the time. Yeah. Right. I, I took a, a course. Uh, well, actually, I'm in a two-year program right now for integrative medicine, and one of the classes that we had was called environmental uh, medicine or environmental. It should have been called environmental toxins. Um, but it was overwhelming to me. Um, it was a lot of really good information and things, a lot of things that I wasn't aware of or didn't know uh, that were problems. Um, the problem I had with the class was by the end, I was so overwhelmed by not being able to do anything healthy, even breathe. Um, I see. Because I had been informed of all the, all the toxicities uh, in everything around me and I was I was just a little overwhelmed and a little bit stressed by uh, the amount of um, information and and the number of toxins that uh, were in my my normal environment. Even you know down to the the um, things about cookware and you know uh, your dishes and what you mm-hmm. could use and couldn't and mm-hmm. um, you know the blankets that you sleep on. It was everything. It was um, all the fire retardant things and yes. Uh, but, you know, even down to the air that we're breathing and um, just very, I found it very stressful to have to think about this everywhere I turned and um, not be able to just enjoy just uh, just having a normal meal with, with friends and family without having that as yeah. part of the background. Yeah. And, you know, I do think that we do get overly... Uh, obsessed, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so that even that is a huge stress. It it starts to release a lot of chemicals in your body. You start to feel overly anxious all the time, and that mm-hmm. is not a helpful thing to your to your system either. So no, and and um, uh, well, we just had breakfast at a restaurant, and right. I had dinner last night in the restaurant, and. Mm-hmm. No, I don't eat out all the time. <laughs> I just happen to be lucky <laughs> the last two meals to have great company. But you can start getting really worried because uh, you don't know how they really clean and right. how careful they are. And, and how often they clean those menus. And yeah, like exactly. Yeah, even the menus, the menus itself. Get handed from hand yeah, to hand. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so we can we can get over, but then at the same time, if we do get exposed to some of these pathogens, possible pathogens, irritants, or whatever, it does help us to actually slowly but surely get used to what the environment has to offer, and we'll start building antibodies, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's all about trusting trusting your immune system, yeah. trusting those channels of elimination to do their job. Yeah, you know, toxins is we're aware of it now, and I think part of that is because we have access to so much information. Mm-hmm. But there have been toxins and pathogens around us for thousands of years. Of course. Yeah. And we're course. All, it's you know, getting worse. There was a story, if this is a good time for it, there yeah. was a story that really brought this to my awareness of the difference between awareness versus stress and how to handle and how to have a great perspective on this. 
my my mother and my sister-in-law and I were heading out of town together. And my sister-in-law said, well, we could kind of get a jump start on this trip. We could leave the night before and we can stay with my grandmother, who's about four hours away. And I says, you know, I can't leave until after work. But, and I says, that puts us in kind of late. Is that too late for your grandmother, who is 93 years old? Unreal. And so... She says, oh, no, she'll be up. No problem. Let me just make sure that, she's, that she doesn't have a conflict going on. So she calls back. Sure enough, everything's just fine. So this is your mom's mom. This is actually my mother, my sister-in-law's grandmother. Your sister-in-law's This is my grandmother. sister-in-law, and it's her grandmother. Wow. <clears throat> so we go down, and we get there at about 1030 at night, and she is belly rolling, laughing. She's watching Leno. So this is a few years ago. Yeah. <clears throat> so she's watching this show and she's just laughing she goes oh my gosh this guy is so funny and she's you just don't see a lot of elderly people really laugh like that just that cute hearty fun laugh so she's laughing her rear end off and we come in and she's like do you need anything do you want a piece of cake and i'm like no i don't eat sugar this late at night blah 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 i'm thinking i should have had the cake (laughs) after talking to her for a while hang it so we all get settled and wake up in the morning and I could hear her in the kitchen, and then we got up, and we came into the kitchen, and my sister-in-law had warned us that if we stay there, you will stay for breakfast. It is a requirement. Oh, wow. You do not get to just, you know, leave your dirty sheets and run. You will stay for breakfast. Yeah. Okay. So we um, we come out into the kitchen, and it's a it's a five-star spread. She had made fresh, mush, mu- uh, fresh muffins. We had fruit this big fruit tray. She had bacon. She had eggs eggs and hash browns. And and, I mean, she had everything out on this. And she was flipping pancakes. I'm like, what time did you wake up this morning? She goes, oh, about an hour ago. So she's over six feet tall and 93 and whipping around this kitchen like a 25-year-old chef. Wow. I'm like, holy cow. I said, okay. After we were sitting down all together for breakfast, I said, you know, you are the epitome of what everybody wants to be like yeah, at that age at, at that age. Jeez. And she and her back is straight and she's just got this awesome posture and and she's fast. Her reflexes are just right on target. Yeah. Wow. I said, what's your secret? And I says, what drug are you taking? Because <laughs> you know, everybody needs some more of that. Yeah. And she goes, don't take any. My doctors keep dying and they keep telling me i need drugs and they're all gone and i'm still here right and uh she's she said i don't i don't take any i says what nutritional supplements are you on and she opened up a cupboard and up on the top shelf she had a little shelf with i have no idea maybe six to twelve different nutritional supplements up there yeah and um she says you know i have some things that when i'm not feeling well or i feel like i'm coming down with a cold or whatever i have some things that kind of help me out she yeah. says, but mostly if I don't feel good, I lay down. Hmm. What a concept, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to yeah, actually yeah. hold still and listen to your body and and resume your yeah, normal rest. activity when you are feeling well. Yeah. She goes, if I don't feel good, I lay down. Huh. Wow, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, what's your secret to how you are able to be this way? Yeah. And she said, you know, I love food. I love it. I love it all. I love cake. I love vegetables. I love ice cream. I love meat. I love fruit. I love it all. And she said, if it has, she goes, I'm so grateful for it. 
she says that she lived through the depression and yeah. she remembers yeah. being truly hungry. Yeah. And she said, I am so grateful for food and the fact that I can choose what I want to eat. Yes. She says, I bless my food. And if it has the calories that I need to get me through my day, it is good for me. If it, if it will give me the energy to do what God wants me to do that day, yeah, it is good for me. Mm-hmm. End of story. Hmm. She says, I don't worry about if That's there's incredible. something 93? in it. Yeah, she didn't wow. worry about nitrates. She didn't worry about, you know, anything. She, yeah. she just didn't worry about it. She was mm. totally on purpose. So she had turned her entire lower level of this two-story house into big craft rooms where she did macrame. For really? Her kids. Yeah, she did quilting and she did crocheting and knitting for her grandkids and crocheted booties for her great grandkids and she made about 200 quilts a year for the red cross that's impossible 200 quilts. where she, do you find well the they time? she so they're not this, super big they're not super big and they're not very she had a specific specific patterns mm-hmm. that she could whip through them really quick they weren't very complicated yeah. and they had a specific size that just folds in half and then that fits perfect on a pallet so they could put as many pallet quilts as possible on one pallet oh and she just made them and gave them a hug and and then she'd deliver them you know a stack at a time over to the red cross and she said if somebody needs one of these quilts they're they're having a bad day if the red cross shows up at your door with a quilt you're not having a good day she says maybe i can make their day a little better And how I just she, how long has she been making quilts like this? Oh, was it like a hobby for her then? Yeah, it was just a hobby. It was just huh. for fun. Huh. And everything she did was for fun. Now, on the flip side of not being worried about things, she had a two acre yard. An acre of it was in orchard, which she harvested and froze and mm-hmm. canned and processed. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it she was organic garden and those things which she cared for herself. So a lot of her sources were very pure and very good, and right. she did a lot of things that were right, but she didn't worry about it one way or another. There's a lot to be learned for that. There's a lot to story. be learned for that. Wow. Is she still alive? She actually did pass away. This was quite a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, sure, so sure, sure. I think she passed away at 96. She went blind. Oh. And she fell and broke a hip. Oh, that's not good. And then and yeah. then she was gone at about 96. Wow. But wow. really kicking, kicking mm. life in the rear end for- Great story. Till about the last six it's months. about uh, what yeah. you you can enjoy life and and love it yes yeah. all right uh, carol wilcock and natalie gonzalez with me in the studio from dynamic health technologies in helena we're going to take a break we'll be right back good morning caller thank you for joining the program today what is your name how can we help you please this is edgy edgy yeah cutting edge a cutting edge hot topic about uh, toxins. Yeah. Or on the other hand, you're you may say it's just a tempest in a teapot. Seems just to think about some of the things. The Fukushima nuclear facility blew sky high a few years ago, and some claim that despite the assurances of the elite, the facility is still leaking radiation after all this time. Now the the point is that in the health food movement thing is that we eat a lot of seaweed. Seaweed is a superfood. Yeah. And we're supposed to check that we're eating the seaweed from the Atlantic side, not the Pacific Ocean side, because there's a continual wave of radiation coming from the Fukushima leak. Sober story is my all time favorite, which I've had great correspondence with Maine seaweed, as in the state of Maine is getting harder and harder to find 
Do you have any red flags about the environmental toxins coming from the wrecked Fukushima buildings, whether that it's getting into the Pacific Ocean, or are you saying that it's just one of those things that has nothing to worry about? <laughs> yeah. I'm. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, this I, is Carol. Yeah, this is Carol. I'm not necessarily inferring that there's nothing to worry about. Um, I think that there certainly is massive amounts of radiation being dumped into the Pacific Ocean, and they've looked at several different ways to mitigate that, and they realized that even if they built their 10-mile-long, two-feet-deep uh, concrete wall, that by the time they built it, it would already be overflowed. So they've, they've looked at a lot of different solutions, and they just haven't found one. So protecting yourself from radiation is really one of the best things you can do. So the seaweed and coming from the Atlantic side and also your fish coming from the Atlantic side, and the smaller, the better, the healthier, the you know cod, from the Pacific Ocean would be probably one of the most toxic foods you could eat. But um, but using things like uh, the homeopathic algin or a radiation formula or potassium iodide and using the seaweed, those are all great things to mitigate the radiation. Because of the iodine. Yeah. Bec- yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, there's different technologies. Uh, I advocate a lot of people to use Altura. There's other companies that produce neutralizers for radiation that we're exposed to. So certainly not dismissing it or minimizing it and um, being aware of that you have an exposure and then in including something into your diet is a, is a really great example, edgy, of being aware but not stressed about it because you're doing something to, to minimize your, your body's and earthing is another great way to ground earthing, your earthing, yeah. mm-hmm. which we used to call, you know, chores. <laughs> On your bare feet. Right, right. When you went and played in the grass and yeah. and weeded the garden and harvested your garden in your, you know, very dry little bare feet like I did yeah. as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh, here I've got a couple of factoids and then I'll back out. They say that sardines are a good fish because they they're, have such a short lifespan there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the light switch, they're alive, short, and they're dead, so they don't pick up a lot of mercury and other toxins. Mm-hmm. And then the real controversial thing that Anthony Williams said is that Corella is not worth the spit to buy it with, That uh, despite all the uh, praise that it actually pushes the heavy metal deeper into our body. Oh, that's and what that's, he says? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. I, I then, find. Uh, uh, go ahead. Let me give my uh, shout out, and then you can take it, take it away. Then I'll just give a shout out. Maine seaweed. I've had such good correspondence with them. Once I wrote a letter to them, and they didn't send me like a coupon or something back. They sent me a little box of goodies of all their products. It's a wonderful little mom and pop co- company. So if anybody's going to buy seaweed, there's good source. The state of Maine seaweed. Okay, I'm Hey, thanks, go. Daniel. I have a good one. Yeah. Bye-bye. All right. Awesome. Yeah. So we talked. Uh, that uh, was interesting. Fukushima, of course. One thing that I thought we, we, we want to talk, that I wanted to bring up based on uh, you're talking about the the wonderful grandmother, 93 years old, uh, more over six feet tall, standing straight, very strong, very active, very happy person. Um, I think there is a combination 
one of the comments that is being made is that our the younger people today will not outlive their parents. That's been comments that have been made, uh, partly because of the uh, the toxicity and the estrogenic compounds and the way that they live their lifestyle, um, that they may be exposed to many more diseases than their parents. Uh, when you talk about a 93-year-old who has gone through the Depression and through the Second World War, maybe even the First World War when she was born, mm-hmm. then you uh, you realize those were tough times. and But they have built this tremendous reservoir of good nutrition, good environment, etc., into their system. The last 50 years, I really feel that with the changes in diet, uh, vilifying saturated fats, um, uh, introducing us to wheat killers and pesticides, herbicides, estrogenic compounds into animal meat and chickens and fish and all that stuff to get more yield, uh, to to use the Roundup that many people are talking about is toxic. The the introduction of the pill, the, proge- the progestin birth control pill, uh, the hormone replacement therapies, the, all these therapies that we've been doing, the radiations, uh, the uh, the X-rays, the MRIs, everything that we have been exposed to, new technologies that have shown benefits, but we just do not know the long-term effects. We do not know the long-term effects of the tremendous effect, uh, increase of prescription drugs in the last 50 years. It is just ridiculous. We don't know the long-term effects of vaccines in the last 50 years uh, that have been introduced. You know, when I was young, there was a couple of vaccines that we had. Now there's too many going into young children at a very young age, uh, way too young. We don't know how it is going to affect. And like somebody once said in the book on allergies, he says, if you tell them, if you mandate vaccines it's like mandating peanut butter for everybody some people will have an anaphylactic shock and die can die so we cannot just i know people are allergic to bananas or uh, gluten you know if you mandate that people get those things and you don't leave them the choice or let them do their own research in order to find out if they have an allergy to this or that then you cannot mandate this kind of stuff. And we see that a lot of things are being mandated today and are simply done behind our backs. And they will have a long-term effect that we haven't figured out yet. As a society, I think that's true, that there's the control piece that it, and a manipulation. Uh, there's a great book called The Hacking of the American Mind that talks about yeah. the manipulation of our Talked dopamine. About it on the show. Yeah, right. The dopamine yeah. response and how we're, yeah. we're kind of trained monkeys. Robert Lustig. He, Dr. Robert Lustig. Yeah, he's Lustig. amazing. Yeah. So... I I really do think though it's it's fascinating to live in an age like this where we're really you know in the in a fullness of information and a fullness of time because if you want to choose to live your life eating junk food watching video games and waiting for someone else to provide a productive happy life for you uh-huh. you're going to live a pretty miserable existence but on the other hand you have an unlimited tool chest where you can become and look for, and we have more organic and healthy foods now than I have ever seen before. Yes. You know, tw- 20 years ago, you couldn't find that. You only, that was not a thing. Um, you have more gluten-free options. You have, you know, almond butter readily available at mm-hmm. every store versus you, it was only peanut butter. And yeah. if you were allergic to peanuts, you just didn't have nuts yeah. <laughs> here on your toast. So 
you you can choose more now than ever whether you want to live in unhealthy and now we have all these new technologies that are coming out at a, a just a frantic pace yeah. of of all these new technologies to keep you healthy we have infrared saunas we have all these other just amazing technologies and yeah, therapies that you can use to live and there's some people who say you know if you wanted to live to be a centurion that's more possible now than it was 30 years ago. And then you have the flip side, where if you just want to be the the gerbil running the rat race that someone else has dictated to you, and you're just going to, you know, you're just going to take whatever, whatever bunny trails your doctor says you, and we'll get into this, I think, in a little bit, where whatever your doctor says is going to be your prognosis. I, I had a patient in ICU who's um, husband had been recently diagnosed with diabetes and he's like, do I really have to go down this bunny trail? Hmm. And I went over and shut the door and I said, no, you don't have to just wait for your body to fall apart and wait for heart disease and neuropathy and blindness that goes with type 2 diabetes. If you, you could go down that trail, but you can choose to go hmm. to a naturopath. You can exercise, you can take control of your diet <laughs> and you could stay less you could become less healthy than you were right now if you'll change the environment that created that situation but yeah. you have to know what created it yeah natalie you're thinking i i am uh you you mentioned that we have this generation of children who may not outlive their parents and and i am really concerned about that when i see uh the trends in obesity especially in children and I see the trends in, um, especially young boys who are who have breast development, mm -hmm. and uh, young girls who are um, dealing with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is becoming more and more um, prevalent. And wow. these are diseases of of our diet and lifestyle, and um, and they are also diseases of the estrogenic compounds that are in our environment, and. Um, and I, I am very concerned about it. Uh, so even though I was in this class and, and they were talking about all the different toxins and everything, and it was a little bit overwhelming, it's still absolutely necessary to recognize the things in our environment that are making this entire generation of children so much less healthy um, and so much less able to fight diseases. Um, if you think back another generation or two there it was before foods were processed and we um or maybe didn't have the money i know in my family we didn't even have the money to have processed foods we had to have you know fresh yeah fresh food, fruit or vegetables it is cheaper i mean the the, yes. the junk food in our house was graham crackers i mean that was that was as far as junk food went in yeah. our house mm -hmm. and because we didn't have money for anything processed and um and so, you know, when you have a generation that's raised on fresh fruit and vegetables and meats that haven't gotten, uh, haven't been, uh, you know, with all the uh, hormones and the um, antibiotics in them, yeah. and, and they were raised on that, their, their body is going to be a healthier state even as they get older in order to be able to fight diseases a little bit easier yeah. than a generation that didn't even have those building blocks to begin with. So, mm -hmm. yeah, there, 
Um, I know I said this, this class was overwhelming and it was, but it's still very concerning. So awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Awareness. I, I, uh, I agree. And I, I feel that we are not helping much. I mean, we, we, we have become a society where we have more knowledge than we've ever had, but it seems like we're more stupid. Less wisdom. Less wisdom. Yeah. Lots yeah. of information, very little wisdom. Yeah. Let, let little common sense. <laughs> and, uh, at the same time, you know, it's just the way it is. And of course, uh, quite a few listeners of the program are more in the older generation. I would say over 40, at least 40 and up. Um, so they, they also, well, yeah, you know, that's how we grew up or that is, uh, things have definitely changed. But if you, if you, uh, what, what I don't want to understand to come back to the main topic of today, when people are being exposed to all these pathogens, they become aware of it. How does it affect their stress response when they actually are being diagnosed with something? So then you can say, which one came first? It was it the worry to get something which would weaken your immune system, which now is a magnet for a possible disease, or you're being diagnosed with something, true or not, we can talk about that, about false diagnostics, and then dealing with the stress of, oh my goodness, I'm not going to live forever. Um, I, do you understand my point, what I I'm do. trying to say? Yeah. I do. So I think that, I, I hear what you're saying. It's like, oh, if I go to the grocery store and I touch this shopping cart, I'm going to be exposed to viruses and yes. people who didn't wash their hands after they went to the bathroom and all yeah. of these things that are on the grocery court, cart. So you can think about that and worry about it and it'll make your you know eyes itch and your nose itch and you can yeah. scratch them, which is a guaranteed way to get exposure. Yeah. Or for me, I just, I walk in, I'm in the habit of just wiping it down. I go do my grocery shopping with ease and joy. And I come home and I wash my hands. So I think that developing healthy habits that make it so that you can let that go, where you don't live in fear and you don't have that stress response, where you're not in, because you you almost create a, sh a shaping function. You create a space like, oh, well, I'm, you know, if I tell you not to think of an elephant, elephant, Mm. You're, you didn't. You're going to think. You're about going to an think elephant. about an elephant. You don't ever hear the not. I'm not going to get a virus. Yeah. Well, you don't hear your body doesn't hear the not. It only yes. creates the shape for yeah. your body to be susceptible mm -hmm. for virus. Mm -hmm. So if you you have to have some tools on hand to be able to keep your resistance up and to wash your hands. I never touch my face during the day. I, I very rarely ever touch my face. I will use the bathroom. Wash my hands. I actually frequently wash my hands before I use the bathroom. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. yeah. All you ladies out there, yeah. wash your hands before you use the sure, restroom. Sure. And then I will wash my hands. And then I will look in the mirror and I'll touch my face. But I, I don't touch my face during the day. Mm. And especially if I'm out in public or in public restrooms, things like mm. that. It's just a habit. Yeah. And then I don't have to worry. Mm. <laughs> Strange, huh? That's how the germaphobe in me copes with that without having to live in that knowledge of well, being, living in a cesspool. Yeah, that is, uh, to me, that, uh, that that's a great comment. That's well, a great it's comment. It's logical. Mm -hmm. Now, the stress response, you know, you're you're dealing with cortisol, you're dealing with, I mean, we can become stressed about anything. Yes. I mean, anything. So whatever you focus on, you're going to get a lot more of. If you focus on being exposed to viruses, you're going to, you're going to. Your body's going to yeah. be aware of that. Exactly. 
Yeah, I, I, I can, I can tell, and there are people who come talk to me in the store, and they, they get a uh, diagnosis of something, and or, or people will say, um, my grandfather had arthritis, my dad has arthritis, I will probably get arthritis. Uh, my guaranteed, you know, if you say that, that's super true. It is. <laughs> and again, I said, what do you mean? There are so many things you can do to avoid it with all the knowledge that you have. You cannot tell me that you're going to be a victim. Are you going to be in a victim mode from now on? And it is pretty much, why don't you just stay home and wait for it to happen? You Which know? is exactly when it will happen. When it will happen. <laughs> and the, just all the disorders. My mom had breast cancer, so I probably will get breast cancer, that kind of stuff. And all these diseases that are so so-called generational, um, it is a problem, and I am wondering how much of that also has a mental effect, an emotional effect on 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 depression and anxiety and 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 even suicide. Uh, people are afraid. Uh, some people say, um, an uncle of mine said, uh, "I don't want to. I don't want to be old." You know, so that is interesting that you say that. I mean, because he looked very young, even as he was in his sixties, very young looking, very hip. And uh, he just said, you know, always said, I don't want to be old. And but what he wanted to say was, I don't want to look old. That's different when you say I don't want to be old. So he died at 71. While he is jogging, he dies of a stroke and <laughs> with a heart attack and boom, he was done. And then you go, goodness gracious. And, and I found out later, my dad died at 52 of a heart attack. 16 other people in my family died of heart attacks on my father's side. So but I have my mom's heart, you know, I there guess. <laughs> so there's always two two sides of the coin. But it, it's my dad out of a heart attack, and, and I later heard that he was always afraid to get wrinkles in his face. And I go, well, interesting. And so he died at 52. It is, we, we put these ideas in our minds, and it can be really Power. subtle. Even if you don't talk about it with others, it's what is running in your mind. There's very past the driving force. The mind runs. The mind is the coach. The body is just the athlete following around. And whatever you put in your mind, that is going to be a driving force for you. If you're, you're aiming for success, that's what you will be. If you're aiming for, you know, I'm probably never going to be as good as whatever it is, then that's probably where you're going to end up. I don't deserve blah, blah, blah. Well, you probably won't get it. Right, you know? right. And it's even you have your conscious mind which is a very small percentage of our actual mind that controls so many different things. So your your conscious mind will only achieve what your subconscious mind will allow. Yeah. And you're so we have all this subconscious programming that can be really generational mm -hmm. that that we have these belief systems and yeah. it's really great to to comb through those and dismantle dismantle those and reset them so that you can um, let go of some of these generational beliefs, yeah. which then can also translate into generational physical attributes. But we had a really interesting discussion on genetics on the way over. Yeah, it's interesting. We should talk about it because another thing that I, I uh, we are also bombarded with insurance companies who say you better get insurance because 
you could get this or this or this, you know, uh, or you buy something, well, you better get an insurance policy in case it breaks. Um, you have doctors who say, well, you could, it could be this, could be that. So we are constantly surrounded by stories in magazines and on TV shows, interviews, the talk radio shows about all the problems that we can have in our yeah. life. It is ridiculous. And it, it is a driving force that uh, affects many of us on a daily basis. All right. Well, when we come back, uh, Carol Wilcock and Natalie Gonzalez, Dr. Natalie Gonzalez will be back with us. So stay tuned for more. Gesundheit with Jacobus will be back after the news. We are discussing today the body-mind connection, but also the what, what is needed to, number one, get out of the stress when you hear that you possibly could have a disease. What does that mean? If you become aware about toxins around you and you start worrying about that, that's not good. It, it's one thing to stay away from toxins. It's another thing to stay away from toxins because you're worrying the whole time that you get sick. So there is something to the to the how the mind and our emotions can have an effect on the physical body. The physical body can literally become sick because we're stressing out on the inside. And that is one of the topics we'll be discussing. The other one that we're probably going to inter, interweave in there, like a tapestry, <laughs> is the uh, is the existence of myths in health and misunderstandings. And so we'll, we're going to talk about it, and Natalie is going to be very good at explaining some <laughs> of those uh, from her professional <laughs> career. Ladies, thank you both for being here. You're, You're so awesome. Fun. Thank yes. you. And uh, of course, Dynamic Health Technologies in Helena, the telephone number 406-431-7332, 431-7332. Look them up on the internet, dynamichealthtechnologies.com, dynamichealthtechnologies.com. So we wanted to first talk about the epigenetics or- right. We, yeah, Natalie, you're going to talk about it, right? That was. I'll start. Is sure. this no start? I mean, is this the time that you and I were going to go, uh, Carol, and yeah, just we're let go her talk? Right, because yeah. when she starts, we can't. Well, epigenetics is actually a very hot topic in uh, in conventional medicine right now, and but I think it's a a really uh, relevant topic for what we are discussing today, and um, and it just has to do with the fact that. Uh, all of us have a certain set of genes, and the um, the previous thinking was that we had this certain set of genes, and that's what we're stuck with, and that's what's going to happen to us. Whatever uh, happened to our ancestor is really our, um, you know, kind of our karma, and that we're stuck with uh, certain genes that have certain disease processes, and as we get older, that's what we can expect to have. Um, and that is absolutely false. And um, there are a lot of studies that are out there right now. Uh, gene research is very, very, um, it, it's an um, exponentially growing field, uh, this field of epigenetics. And what they found in, you know, in a, in a nutshell is that you can have a set of genes, but those genes are not activated until, um, until you activate them. I see. So, you know, you may decide that you're going to have heart disease or you may decide that you're going to have a certain certain type of cancer because that's what you believe. Right. And, uh, and, you know, whatever you feed into your system 
whether it's the thought of that or whether it's the um, the toxic exposure that causes that, uh, whatever you decide to feed into the system will certainly turn those genes on as you um, as you are planning. <laughs> yes. So, yes. So yeah. it, it might be better to plan otherwise. <laughs> so, um, but yes, a lot of studies show that uh, uh, that you can have the same set of genes as someone else. And your family, or the, the same set as your twin, but um, it's really going to depend on how you decide to turn those genes on or off. Yeah. So one of the thing, one of the questions that I've had is because you hear that, and he's like, "Well, what what did I do to activate that gene? What it, you know, what did I, what am I doing, or what can, in more importantly, what can I do to shut it off? What can I do to deactivate that that active component?" Say, mm-hmm. you know, my my well, my mother, my grandmother had breast cancer. Right. What can I do? The most to- obvious of of the things that we're finding are the things that you feed into your system, um, as far as food. So if you're gonna if you're gonna eat things uh, that are, you know, the difference be- between eating something that's in the uh, grocery store that's fr- uh, fresh fruit and vegetables, or if you're gonna eat the processed foods, you know. The, the processed foods and the things that have the toxins are right up on the list if you want to really turn on a gene uh, and that uh, that you may not want to turn on, actually. And uh, and then, you know, you can have the fruits and vegetables, but if you have a choice between those and the ones that have no pesticides on them, that's the difference there. If you want to, um, if you want to continually feed your system, in a way that uh, that will turn on a gene, just try stress all the time. Stress is a perfect example of how to turn on a lot of these genes. <laughs> and uh, that's, yeah. that's absolutely true. One of the things that we talked about on the way over was a Harvard professor who was studying stress, and he went down to Africa and was studying this um, village, essentially this group of, this colony of apes. And he was testing cortisol levels and looking at genetic material and and what he found was the ones who had the highest cortisol levels, the cortisol was um, very acidic and toxic huh. and unraveled the lipid plugs at the end of a DNA strand. Wow. And it literally unraveled the DNA. And that's so, where those SNPs, which is a single nucleotide protein, so there's different ladders in that DNA. You've seen, yeah, everybody's yeah, seen that yeah. double helix with the ladder. Uh-huh. Well, there's those are all supposed to line up. And between those different amino acids and if they become flawed that's called a that's called a snip and the more the higher the cortisol the more flaws the more flawed the genetic became yeah exactly the more flawed the actual dna strand became Mm -hmm. so cortisol destroys the the lipids at At the the end the end cap of the the, the gene wow very toxic that stress piece is huge now the what what you're mentioning, Natalie, is um, um, so we have these we have the the, the genes. So we, we think we are predisposed to something. Mm-hmm. You're mentioning Carol the, the the cortisol that comes up, fight or flight, which is automatically stress. A lot of us are in stress simply because we are dealing with people who stresses out self most of it self-inflicted sure it is yeah yeah but even my own (laughs) 
No, well, it's, it's your true. perspective well, of, the, of the situation. Yeah, but some people yeah. are in financial stress, or they're in health stress, or they're in, uh, there are other members in the family who are dealing with stresses, and that stresses us out because we really want to help them. We're family. We got to stay together. We got to do it all together. So. There is, there is there is weather stress. The winter was so long in Montana this year. So people are going like, God, you know, how do we get out of this? Uh, different things can play a role, even if we try our best not to make it stressful. They just creep in. And it's hard for us to stop all of that. But Absolutely. what you're saying is do the best you can with what you have and slow down that de- you know what? regressive this is, process. This is a really good point. Uh, my sister was dealing with some diseases that, uh, one particular disease that was being triggered by her stress level. And so I was uh, asking her about it and she said, um, I said, you know, what are you doing to deal with this part of, of the piece here, this part of your life? And, and she mentioned a couple of things and she said, I'm just going to have to work at it. And I, I said, that's exactly the problem right there. <laughs> work, yes. You know, you you don't work at trying not to be stressed. But I'll tell you, I don't deal with even one client who comes in that I'm not absolutely looking at that piece and trying to help them see it in a little bit different way. And, you know, even if it's just the fact that um, I'm trying to do a session with them and they're blocking what's going on in the session, they're they're um, resisting it, resisting the change that I want to see there. And I will, I will start by something as simple as, you know, what's your favorite color? You know, something that makes you feel good. I, so what kind of things do you have in your life that make you smile? Yeah. You know, what, what is it? When was the last time you had a really good belly laugh? Do you understand? Um, and you know, they, they probably don't know this, but, um, but there's some research that shows that a good belly laugh, the effects on the immune system last for at least four hours afterwards. Oh, wow. So, you know, if I need them to get over something, then I want them to have that really good belly laugh every four hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but this is another example. Uh, and there were some studies on this, that a walk in nature, being outside in nature, you can measure the effects, the positive effects on your immune system for the next seven days. Wow. So, you know, there's a lot of research on it. And, and I'm not talking about working to, uh, you know, do a new technique or a new meditation or a new anything. Anything that's going to stress them because they have to work at it or try is not what I'm talking about. And so I start with some really basic things with people. And, um, and this was true of my patients with cancers. Cancer diagnosis has to be one of the most stressful you could possibly have. And, yeah. and um, you know, and it's at a time when you need their immune system working at its best. Right, and so in those early discussions about uh, the planning and what we're going to do next, you know, to deal with this, uh, you know, this whole thing diagnosis one of the things that goes into that planning is how are you going to find a way to smile in your day what things make a list i want a list of things that you can go to that just make you smile every single day to surround yourself with those things because the effect on your immune system and your ability to to combat whatever is going on in your system um 
is is going to be directly related to that. Yeah. And of we, course, you cannot laugh it off, but we need to, uh, it's, it's not that kind of smile, uh, silly, uh, simply laughing, but to realize. You'd be surprised. There's research on, on it, laughter. It doesn't matter why you laugh. It if doesn't. You can force yourself to smile, triggering those facial muscles, even if you're in the abdominal it. muscles. Um, there, there's research that shows that laughter, even if you start out and you say, I'm going to, I'm going to take 15 minutes out of my day and I'm going to close the door and I'm going to just, you know, lay on the floor and roll around and laugh for no reason at all. Actually, it gets funny after a while, but sure, sure, sure. But, yeah. but, but um, the positive effects on the immune system are huge and, and it doesn't even have to be that you have something to laugh about. Huh. You're just going through the process. Eventually you do, it does get easier. To change that wow. perspective, I, um, I a lot of times I'll have clients build a, a relaxation kit or a smile kit. I want a picture of a place where you were truly happy. I want a texture of a fabric that makes you relax. Absolutely. I want a smell yeah. of, mm. I mean, it could be cut grass. It could be pine trees. It Absolutely. could be vanilla. It can be, what's your favorite smell? These To involve your senses, to remind it of all of these things. And, you know, sometimes... Um, anger will show up for people or a negative emotion, fear and anger, those big stress emotions and anger. I said, well, you know, is there anything in your life particularly that you're, you're angry at? And they would say, oh, I just this, this, this. And I said, well, that's, that's really how you know you care. If you weren't angry, you'd be apathetic and it wouldn't influence you at all. So if you weren't right. angry, you wouldn't, it wouldn't matter to you. Yes. So even if... Either that or it would be internal and that would be even worse. Even worse, right. So oh. even if CenturyLink isn't doing their job, the fact is, is that you want to communicate with the people in your life and that's what is frustrating for you, which means you're really coming at it from a place of love. I love to communicate with my people mm-hmm. and this is inhibiting me from being able to do that and that's why i'm angry you're actually not angry at whatever it's the situation that's preventing you from having the the connection that you're wanting so there's always that re redefining a situation and looking at it from a different perspective why are you anxious well i I put so many expectations on myself i can't possibly meet that today well do you have to meet them all today and you really look at it and go, you know what? I really don't have to do all of that today. Hmm. I can, or I can delegate it. I can have somebody else do that, or I can make a phone call, or I can change my priorities because yeah. we have really unrealistic expectations of ourselves far hmm. too often. And why is that? Is society grown this way? That we all have to perform? That we all have to have two cars? That we all need to have an extra house, extra income? Well, there's, we I all think- need to have this pressure? Oh, keeping up with the Joneses. The uh, external. What is it? Yeah. yeah, so I think there's some people who are really influenced by needing approval of and having the perception to keep up with yeah. the Joneses. I think there's other people who are very perfectionistic. Yes. I think of what they do. And I think other people are very um, driven and expect too much of themselves. Yeah. Or, you know, if they're people who love to connect with people, but those people don't always want to connect with them in the same fashion. So, you have a myriad of different reasons why you might not be able to meet those expectations. But I had a, a very wise hairdresser many years ago, a good friend of mine, who said expectations are just premeditated disappointments. Mm. And I mm. I like that. Mm-hmm. It's very <laughs> true. What are the expectations? Because if you can not become lazy, not 
that's not the point. The point is that if it's putting you in a stress response, you need to reevaluate. You know, one thing that I think about, 522-8255, by the way, folks, if you're calling, 522-TALK. Um, thank you, Steve-O, for all the messages. I'll, uh, I'll answer them later, but thank you very much. Um, so I'm getting messages. Yeah, you're getting text messages. Getting messages. Very good. Um, there is, I don't think there, is, there are any perfect parents, right? But I do There's believe... No I haven't met a perfect child. No, that's true, too. <laughs> but if you think about the responsibility that you have as a parent, we grow as we are parents. And I think that people when they get married or when they are in a relationship and decide to have a child, it would be awesome if they could first work on themselves to find healing in themselves about who they really are and why they want to be together and why they would like to have a child. I think those are the parents that usually end up, and I'm not talking about people who are egotistical, narcissistic, who say, I deserve a child and I'm the best and blah, blah, blah. That's what I'm talking about. Right. Let's talk about inner, inner healing, inner yeah. healing, right? right? Those children born in that environment, because we have learned that children for the first six years of their life are like a sponge. They pick up everything, every emotion, every action, every demand, words, sounds, all that stuff in those first six years, including pregnancies. So what I what I feel is if parents would become more responsible before they become parents, and it sounds maybe really weird, but I mean it in a good way. No, it's perfect. Then we are starting with growing a generation of parents that want to stay together for the child, that not they they stay focused. They get focused on their task at hand, their responsibilities. It would make more uh, grounded children. Who have all the all the opportunities? It has nothing to do with money. They have all the opportunity to become the best they can be in whatever it is, and they start to grow a new generation as they get older. We are dealing with divorce rates that are up. We're dealing with children that are hooked to babysitters and uh, uh, games and and computers and TV, etc., because. Parents are so-called driven. Both people need to have a career. Both people need to be successful. Both people need to be compatible with each other, whatever you want to call that, or with the next person. And I'm not saying this is everywhere, but if you look at it, and maybe not in Montana, but across the area, the, the pressure, if I hear commercials that talk about, are you in debt? Do you owe the IRS $10,000 and I go like $10,000 for some people that means that people really owe $10,000 they cannot pay it can you not make a payment set up a payment schedule that means people you could I just feel people are so overstretched financially right that kind of stress on a daily basis is affecting your life your relationship with your partner your relationship with your children, your relationship at work. You don't like your work anymore. You literally will just look for the next best opportunity that comes up. They pay me a dollar more an hour. I'm just going to fly the coop and I'm going to go somewhere else. If I'm happy or not, it's all about the money because I need to get this. The stress levels that we have created in this society, the Western society, mm -hmm. the pressures that we have put upon ourselves starts to trickle down into the children on a daily basis. And we are creating a new generation of children that 
that don't get the education about what it is to be a good person. And again, I'm not, I, I sound it's like I'm everybody. generalizing, yeah. but I think that when I look around me, this is part of, you know, children are children. They will have their own spontaneity. And we look at it and we say, oh, they're fine, they're playing. But in the long run, the messages that we have given them because of the fights that we have internally is going to have an effect on the children. Yeah, every, every on the next generation. Yeah, absolutely, everything affects it, and and I think you can choose to heal the generational challenges that you've, you know, been dealt with or whatever, and becoming aware of them and correcting them makes all the difference in the world. And I don't think it's any, it's and never too late to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that you know, me, I'm a I'm a parent. I have four children, and I have two grandchildren, and I am still working on sending the message to my children of the things that they need to hear from a good mother. And yes. I'm not trying to overparent my children. I just want them to know that they're loved and accepted for who they are and that I encourage them to expand what they're great at, right? Mm-hmm. And things that um, that maybe don't go well, well, what, what created that? What's the situation that created that? So yes. I... I, there was um, one one person that I began following in the last year, and that's Carol Tuttle, who has the Child Whisperer. And okay. one of my staff members um, has said that you know the person who introduced me to this has created a monster. But, oh, really? <laughs> but she talks about the Child Whisperer, which really understands the energetic profile of different types of people, and really understanding who they are and what honors them. And that's a, that's a great resource when you talk about intentional parenting and understanding who you are yeah. so that you can really step up and be uh, an honoring parent to that person rather than growing children who are covered in shame and disappointment and projected emotions and all of these different things. If you can look at yourself, look at your children and realize where there's a balance there and understanding what you need to do to heal yourself totally. and understanding how to support your children in becoming We need best. to go back to the basics. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the basics is strip down naked in a way. No, <laughs> yeah. in a way it is. Yeah, rock. You know, forget about whatever the, the outer dust Influence. is. Just find ourselves back yeah. and, then, and then see where we can improve on that. Emotionally declutter. All right. Well, thank you both for being here. Folks, we'll be right back. Good morning to you. Welcome back to the program, Gesundheit with Jacobus. We are at the halfway mark. We're moving back to the starting line. One of the things we definitely want to discuss today is some of the, uh, first of all, when I have both ladies professionals, health professionals in the studio, it is always difficult for me to actually uh, get going on the uh, on, on, on the topic and then trying to finish it because there's so much we want to talk about. I don't think we've ever finished a topic, have we? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think eight, so eight shows, and I don't think we've ever finished a darn thing. <laughs> no, we haven't. We have a perpetual conversation. That's right. We do, and uh, that is why, should you know, be. three hours is not try, three hours is not a problem. So, Carol Wilcock, Natalie Gonzalez with me on Gesundheit with Jacobus today. Give us a call if you are interested in asking a question. So, I would say we can interweave what we talked about before, but let's talk about some of the myths and misunderstandings. And I made a list, but I think the two of you made a list as well. What? You go first. Well, I I tell you, if I pick one of these, 
we are going to be in trouble. <laughs> how, how about because, if we talk about lab accuracy? Well, lab our, that that is that is uh, correct. And and I another one. So let me tell you a few that I wrote down. Um, maybe they can call in and tell you to false diagnostics, one, right? Hormonal imbalances that are misdiagnosed, and then pituitary disorders that go with it. Uh, do we have surgery or no surgery? Can we do without surgery? Is surgery promoted by the surgeons because that's what they do? And um, there is, uh, and also this whole thing, we have all these mass shootings been going on, mm -hmm. and people say, well, these people, uh, they make it a political game, but these people are either fighting depression, suicide, homicide, medications, there are many times they're on medications for, for something. And um, I would like to talk about that. What is what is what is the myth here and what is the misunderstanding? And vaccines, I'm worried about the vaccines. I'm not taking this lightly. I don't care if somebody says, well, they've cleaned up the act and all clean right now. I don't think that is the case. And we have too many of them. And they're mandated and they freak people out and it becomes a political thing. And you see, uh, we have Montana's for Vaccine Choice, and we have seen the movie Vaxxed, and we've had those people on the uh, on the mm -hmm. radio show as well. So people have young children, they want to take them to preschool, now they need to be vaccinated even when they go to preschool, and now with all the measles going on in the East Coast, we say, oh, we got to vaccinate, and anyway, it happens to those who have been vaccinated, but that's yep. not what everybody wants to hear. So. Right. Let's talk about that, but maybe get a caller on first. Good yep. morning, caller. Thanks for joining the program today. What is your name, and how can we help you, please? Yeah, let me shut the radio down a little bit here. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, AC here, and I got a question about uh, hemp oil for uh, for stress, you know. And yes. Maybe like valerian, uh, lavender, some of that stuff. If, uh, you know, is that is that as good as going for a walk in the forest or having a good laugh, you know? <laughs> Interesting. I'll, I'll take my answer off the air. Oh, you do? Is that it? So you want to know about hemp oil, or you want to know about valerian and lavender? Yeah, all uh, of them. All of them. All of them. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll see how we can discuss it. Bye. AC. Thanks for the call. Thanks. Bye. Well, there you go. All right. Well, um, CBD oil. Let's start with that. Uh, there are some really good studies that show that CBD oil is great for um, decreasing anxiety. Uh, there were some studies that, that showed its effectiveness for helping people to sleep. And it was interesting because they, they measured the sleeping patterns of these people and, and they didn't actually show that the sleeping patterns were longer or better or they took less time to go to sleep. But the perception of the person was that they slept better. And so, um, in that regard, uh, CBD oil has been shown to be really effective for both anxiety and uh, sleep. Have you found any really great research on dosing? Because this is something, I had one client who came in and she was like, CBD doesn't work. I took a thousand milligrams and, and then it just stopped working. Well, first like, of all, oh my gosh. First of all, it's what you're using it for. And I'll right. tell you, um, one of the reasons that it's sometimes helpful in terms of pain, say somebody who has chronic pain, one of the components of pain uh, is anxiety. And the more anxious a person, the more their perception of pain. And mm -hmm. we use a lot of things in medicine to uh, diminish anxiety. And you can see a direct effect on the effectiveness of a pain 
medication or pain control uh, when they when they're just a little bit more relaxed and um, so you know it depends a little bit on what the CBD oil is being used for in terms of whether it's still working for them or not and what the dose is uh, a lot of what I've studied is uh, CBD use uh, oil use in um, certain certain psychiatric disorders in which we might use something else we might use a, a you know uh, maybe they've been on um, an antidepressant or an anxiolytic uh, medication. Uh, and uh, sometimes you can use CBD oil and it can be highly effective in in minimal doses, yeah. really. Uh, and much more effective than those actual prescription drugs. Right, right. So I have found, um, I found one one study that was, and this I've just used as a guide and it seems to be really accurate. And you, you, Jacobus, I'm you're sure you have information on this oh, as yeah, well. We have so, a lot of information. Right. So mm-hmm. that's what I found was zero to five milligrams for anxiety or stress response, five to ten for mild pain, ten to fifteen for moderate pain, and fifteen to twenty for more severe or chronic pain. So is that is that similar to yeah, what you found? Does that sound? It sounds similar to what I recommend to. What to. Okay, yes. I think part of it is uh, we're, we're learning as we go, right? Well, because this this has been an explosion in the last few years. I remember also a few years ago that Sanjay Gupta had an, a special on on CBD on on uh, on one of the health shows in which he was talking about the girl with all the epileptic seizures in Colorado and where mm-hmm. they were using right. uh, the CBD high potency for her and her her uh, seizures went from 40 or 50 a day to about two a week or something or one or two a day. Mm-hmm. And that was the big thing. And then he said, well, my research shows there's really no danger to this product. And so that all of a sudden started to make it grow like crazy. Right. And now with the law, the the, the farm law, uh, the farm bill that that allows uh, people to grow industrial hemp, all of a sudden, uh, CBD companies are sprouting everywhere. Everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon. So, in a way, research has been done, but how much research, how much we really can do with this is amazing. And as I mentioned earlier in the commercial, the whole endocannabinoid system, the endo-internal cannabinoid system that receives cannabinoids runs almost parallel with our nervous system. Right. And and so it was discovered in 1988 by this Israeli uh, scientist who was working with cannabis, sativa, and discovered that a certain system was being awakened. So he called it, because he was using cannabis, he said, we call it the cannabinoid system. But there is cannabinoids in all kinds of foods. It doesn't have to come out of hemp. Uh, but it is the highest concentration probably in the hemp product. The other thing is that what you have is that the, 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 the plant itself holds about a hundred different cannabinoids and it also holds terpenes. It is a full spectrum plant like everything in nature is full spectrum. And so there are companies who you put on the label maybe hemp oil and then people say, well, is it CBD or is it hemp? No, it is actually a full complex. It has CBD in it. And you'll find on the label, there is three milligrams of CBD per five drops or 10 drops. So then people say, oh, that's not much. No, but you have all the, you have the CBGs and CBA, CBB, you have the CBN, you have the different, you have some THC, 0.3% or less in there as well. And so you can get certificate of analysis of the, of the crops that they have. 
But now you start looking at, oh, what are the other things then? Well, they all have an effect on the cannabinoid system. So the cannabinoid system simply has these receptor sites that just open and close. And because they've been asleep for so long, it is oftentimes better to start with a lower potency, maybe a three, four, five milligram, right. but do that four times a day so that you get, you, you wake it up and it starts to respond. If you pour water on, uh, on a drain, that is locked, uh, the drain won't take it, you know, but if you drip it and you turn the drain open, everything will just simply move. So we need to open up this cannabinoid system. Yeah. Waking it up. And I think that is a way to go. And I hear that from different people that say small dosages throughout the day is the better way to go. than just one all Mm -hmm. at night, but some people have pain, like you mentioned, and they like to take 100 milligram and some people like to vape it and some people like to uh like to suck on it or they like to have a chewable or whatever so the 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 options are plentiful well and the delivery system is going to make a difference how they absorb it yeah um because you know if you're doing a transdermal patch or or sublingual that's going to be a different absorption than if you actually are taking it in internally in a capsule uh yes as a capsule yeah i agree Especially so, depending on your effectiveness of your digestive system. So, so as far as that is concerned, uh, you know, I, I really hope, AC, that that answers your question. As far as valerian, valerian and lavender have a very calming effect on the body. Valerian calms the mind and it calms the muscles. So don't use it during the day when you have to drive or when you have to uh, operate heavy equipment. You don't want to fall asleep <laughs> by there. But if you take it in the evening, it should be able to calm the mind and the body and makes you sleep better at night. So as far as uh, knowing valerian has, is the raw material for Valium, then you realize it can be used for the for anxieties and for stress. But there is a time and a place for that. And, and otherwise, yeah, meditation, um, prayer, therapy, um, getting your B vitamins in, uh, taking your minerals many times were just simply depleted. Taking your fats, your your essential fats that go to the brain that help the brain heal. Um, staying away from too much sugar, which also activates the brain, just drives the brain crazy. Yeah. Um, so there That's are things that you should avoid, and there are things that you should take. Yeah, I think it's important to realize too when you're dealing with a whole hemp product or a whole valerian or lavender or spinach. For that matter, everything in nature has that wholeness to it, and it's going to interact with our bodies differently, each person, and it's going to affect us differently, and we're going to utilize what we need from that in a unique way, and and there's everything is so complex, and just by bringing in those whole things that work for you. For me, lavender feels like handcuffs. I can't can't tolerate it at all. It's very restrictive to me. It's like a depressant. It's huh. too much. I can't. I, the only lavender I really enjoy is driving past a certain mountain in the mountains up high Lincoln, and there's a whole hillside that blooms into lavender, and I'll just drive past it and walk and and enjoy that fresh lavender scent, and yeah. I'm good for the year. Yeah, that's my huh. dose. <laughs> huh. I can't put it in my bath. I can't. It's just um, it's very irritating for me, yeah. and it's very. It's like a sedative that's way too strong for me. Ah. So you have to respect that, especially when you're doing aromatherapy, what's good for you, because it's so powerful the way it impacts your limbic system Mm -hmm. that it's not, what's good for you may not be great for another person. So I don't ever use it in the clinic. I encourage people to use it for themselves because it's powerful. Yeah. But 
um, what, you know, if I have peppermint and I have somebody who follows that, you know, if I use that with one client and then I have somebody who comes in with anxiety, well, peppermint's going to, I'm going to have to peel them off the ceiling. Yeah. Same thing with somebody who's anxious and we, you know, saturate the room with lavender and the next person's coming in with depression. Yes. I'm going to have to scrape them off the floor. So I really, I really value the impact of aromatherapy, but folks, please be respectful that what is good for you may not be good for everybody. Right. Wow. We have a lot of people that have idiosyncratic reactions. That means they just don't respond the way the rest of the population might respond and to. We were talking about to melatonin. either drugs or um, herbal uh, and supplements. And uh, melatonin was a really good example. Um, melatonin in general is what our body makes in order for us to be able to sleep well. And, um, and we can supplement melatonin also. But um, over supplementation in some people and just normal supplement, you know, normal dose supplements in some people will cause absolute um, anxiety and uh, and just hyper uh, and hyper reactivity. Um, right. So, so yeah. some people have that opposite effect mm -hmm. where you can take a, you know, this it's the Ritalin for children who are hyperactive. It's giving a stimulant, a cocaine based drug to somebody who's hyperreactant and it calms them down yeah. so it's that like here's like <laughs> kind of concept yeah. but um but yeah melatonin is a perfect example that we talked about on the way over mm -hmm. yeah. where they can you know have a, a small dose and and really it flips them and makes them more anxious and they're like oh. well because you you don't have the precursor you don't have the serotonin production first serotonin we need serotonin first the um, the breakdown, my understanding in the brain is the L-tryptophan that converts into 5-hydroxytryptophan, 5-HTP. That produces serotonin first before it converts into melatonin. And if you bypass that whole process and you go straight for the melatonin, you never calm down the mind. You just go to sleep. And so I tell people when they come in and say, I can't sleep. I said, can you not fall asleep or can you not stay asleep? Well, I cannot fall asleep. Okay. Can you not fall asleep? Because your mind is overactive, or are you totally calm? Well, my mind is overactive. Okay. Well, you don't want to do melatonin. You know, if you wait, if you cannot fall asleep, or if you cannot stay asleep, but you wake up and your mind is overactive, don't take melatonin. So, if the mind is overactive, the last thing you want to do is melatonin. We need to go back and try to calm the mind down first mm -hmm. before we do anything, because the body naturally wants to go with this with the circadian rhythm. And wants to go to sleep when it is dark, when you when you know it's the end of the day. But the mind, as I said earlier, the mind is super powerful. It's the coach that talks to us 24-7. And it is the body that simply wants to respond. And the difference with a car, a car, we are the driver, we are the brain of the car. But then when we don't feed the car fuel, it's not going to drive. And many people will live so much in their head and do so many things, they forget to fuel the system so the system wants to go to bed. The mind isn't done talking yet. So people start having problems with sleep, and then they wake up wiped out in the morning. And so there is there is a lot of work that we have ahead of us when it comes to sleep. Right. And there's Absolutely. so many things that people can do to have habits that will help their body produce that melatonin and, and nutritional things they can do to stimulate their pineal gland to produce that. And it has to do with light and, you know, the cutting down your screen time and dimming your lights. and Changing yeah. your activity and changing, you know, I know people that go, I can't go to sleep at night. Well, I go to 
heavy workout at nine o'clock at yeah, night. I know, I'm like, endorphins are just alone? running like yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah. What makes you think you would be capable yeah. of going to sleep at night? If you yeah. this, this whole idea of sleep hygiene, uh, of preparing yourself to sleep and, and it's a really root, a routine kind of thing that you have to get into to, um, really create the, um, the environment for good sleep. Okay, well, we have a caller. Caller, good morning. Thank you for joining the program today. What's your name? How can we help you, please? Uh, it's Ed. Hey, Ed. Hey, how you doing? Hey, you've been talking about uh, serotonin, and I'm, you know, that's right, uh, a key. Yes. But something you haven't mentioned is that vitamin D actually controls how much serotonin uh, the brain makes. Vitamin and D yes. from dog or vitamin B from Billy? Dog, dog, okay. dog, D3. Okay. Yeah. So what happens is that the, you talked about tryptophan and it's uh, being hydroxylated. That enzyme is the rate limiting step and the brain enzyme is stimulated by vitamin D. And if you don't, you know how, if you sit out in the sun or something, you feel a little more relaxed and so forth. Well, uh, a lot of people don't get enough vitamin D these days because they, they overuse, um, uh, you know, uh, various kinds of, of uh, high SPF creams. They, you know, they don't uh, get out enough. So forth, you can take supplements or yeah. just fine. But uh, vitamin D is really a key because most of your serotonin is made in your gut. That's right. But it doesn't get into the brain. Okay. I see. Yes. So if you have vitamin D, it shuts, it reduces the amount in the gut and increases the amount in the brain. And it's really pretty amazing. That's true, Ed. Absolutely true. The other thing that I have found that really influences serotonin is uh, intestinal parasites. So you have very happy parasites and very sad person, and that totally disrupts. And actually, any super infection that's in the gut will will really disrupt that serotonin and, and disrupt the microbiome that's going on in, in the digestive tract. So the the lymph that's in the gut, the um, serotonin and all the neurotransmitters that are balanced huh. in the gut is just huge. And you're absolutely right, Ed. Good to hear from you. Yeah. So it, uh, it's a really, a, really a key, I think. And of course, uh, many people don't get enough tryptophan in their diet mm-hmm. because it's the most uh, scarce amino acid, particularly people that are on a vegetarian diet. It makes it very hard for them to get enough tryptophan. So that's something that you know, people should pay attention to, and it's kind of a tricky one. Yes, but I think it can be dealt with. Yeah. Huh. So, but vitamin D, vitamin D, vitamin D. Okay. Good Absolutely. point. You can do too much, but it's hard. It's hard. A lot of people yeah. don't absorb vitamin D very well. And um, is that is that uh, also related to the microbiome? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's skin. You know, you ultraviolet light on the skin, mm-hmm. and if people are taking. uh you know, various kinds of creams with high SPF values and they don't let their kids out without coating them, you know, uh, it's, uh, you should actually get a little sunburn once in a while. You don't need a lot, but then you can use your, your high SPF cream after you get a little sunburn. Or you can take, if you're, if you're paranoid about that, you can take, uh, vitamin D supplements. But I'll tell you one quick story. Uh, you know, you're getting to the end of your hour, I think, but, uh, I've got a really good friend who's a bicycle racer. And he was worried about his vitamin D status because he, you know, it's always a risk of crashing and breaking a bone and so forth. So he had his vitamin D tested and it was really low. So he takes, uh, you know, he takes and started taking 5,000, 
IUs a day and it didn't really budget. And then he went up to 20,000 IUs a day and it didn't, you know, it came up a little. And then he went to 100,000 IUs a day to finally get his vitamin D up to the level. And he reduced, you know, he could cut back. But I mean, that, that's another thing that's individual. And I don't know yeah. what controls that. Yeah. But if you're having trouble with anxiety and things like that, uh, having your vitamin D and your blood checked would be a good idea. Absolutely. Bye, bye, bye. Thank you. Hey, thanks a lot, Ed. All the best to you. All right. Yeah, he's always uh, a wealth of wisdom he over is. here. Yeah. You know, no, with, with vitamin D, it's generally when somebody is found to be low, we generally supplement with 50,000 units That's right, a to begin day. With. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. That's 50,000 units a week. Yeah, but it's not good and because it's, it's a vitamin prescription. D too. Well, and it's a prescription medication we in order go. to we get them go. up. We got to go. I actually wrote this week, knowing that you two were coming, about the impatience that people have when they expect healing. And uh, I, we're all, I'm actually guilty of that as well. We but all I, are. But I realize, you know, a simple realization is uh, working out. I go to the gym, and I've been going out to the gym 10 years. There are certain things I've really improved in. I, think, I don't think I've ever been this strong and in a better shape than I've been today. Um, at the same time, there are still certain areas that I feel, no matter what I try, it doesn't seem to get any better. So I also realize, indeed, that we all have different body types. I work out within a small group with a trainer. And you see people, I'm not talking about my group per se, but right. men and women are different. Some people have longer rumps. Other people have longer legs, longer arms. They have broader shoulders, bigger hips, whatever it is. We all have different shapes. So we all that actually gives us different challenges. And so we may want a certain thing, but it is not always, uh, we cannot always accomplish it. So we simply have to work with what we have and become the best that we can be and not compare ourselves to anybody else. So I think you can be healthy at any really different sizes, different shapes. It doesn't mean that it's not that you can't achieve health. Yeah. You don't have to look like Mr. Olympia, you know, Mr. Universe in order to be healthy. In fact, I don't necessarily think that is. But no, I think I your impatience um, that people experience is universal. We are a really impatient culture. And I love your commercial that um, it takes a little bit of time and some some real knowledge and some accuracy is mm -hmm. very helpful. But I usually tell people, you know, if you've been sick for 10 years, then if you're going to do something to stay on track and get yourself healthy, it'll take 10 months. So if you try it for a month and go, oh, that didn't work. I tried this. That didn't work. Well, add something else to it. Try something different. But you're even if you went to an acupuncturist and you've been sick for 20 years, you know, the chances are that you could, you know, it could take you 20 months before your body is really, before everything's really pulled together and, and really healthy. And I'm not saying that's always the case. I've had people, and we'll talk about spontaneous healings yeah. and those possibilities. So I'm not saying you have to just be sick for 10 more months just because you have been sick for 10 years because that that changes for everybody it's so individual but we have this expectation that oh i tried this or i tried that or i took that supplement or i i ate one organic apple why don't i feel fantastic well seriously you know yeah. you have to have some patience with yourself and be consistent yeah because you're retraining i love that it's a training process it's an education process yeah true that's what health is. I'm much more conservative when I tell people how long it's going to take to get better. And uh, 
I know, uh, you know, just from working in the hospital with people that are critically ill, we always figured that for each day that they were in bed, it would take four days to recover from that day. Is that right? So, um, and even in my surgical patients, if it was somebody who was having surgery and they were in their 20s, the recovery time from a surgery is much more six to eight weeks or whatever, uh, you know, amount of time is considered normal. When you're working with somebody who's 50 or older, uh, that time goes up dramatically. And it's always easier to tell somebody, you know, I, I, I expect that you're going to be uh, starting to uh, move around and, and do things at about two to three months that you would normally want to do. But to actually feel like you're back at the point before you had your surgery could easily take six months to a year. And if they actually do better than that, then they feel good about it, that they, you know, they recovered faster than I thought they would. And and there's nothing wrong with that. But to, um, you know, just not to give them an expectation that six to eight weeks, they're going to be feeling like new again. That's just not realistic and uh, and leads to a lot of disappointment and, and sometimes a depressed patient. Well, we, we, we so. often forget that surgery is pretty invasive. Absolutely. I mean, the surgery has improved. I mean, has... I, I don't know if you could say depends on the surgery. Um, depends on the some surgery. surgeries are still very, very invasive. Very I think invasive. it depends on the surgeon. Uh, well, no. Some I, surgeons are really invasive. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, no, that that's a that's a great point. And and Carol, you were just saying during the break, you tell people usually for every one every year that you know that you've suffered from a certain disease, give your body about a month to a month and a half of healing. That doesn't mean you're not going to feel any improvement within two weeks, but you're not healed yet. You cannot stop at the procedure. You just have to work at it. And so it actually makes you realize why does it take certain people so long before they actually come talk to you and say, I've been suffering from this for so long. I tell people when they they buy a supplement at the store for a specific condition, and it's not the ones who come in and say, I use fish oil all the time, or I have my vitamin D, my B complex, my protein powder, whatever. People come in for a specific condition and they're looking for a supplement, I usually say buy the smallest bottle, just enough for a month. If you you should notice something within three weeks. If you don't notice anything that you like, and I, I that doesn't mean it has to be gone 100%. Right. But if you say, wow, I actually feel 30% better or 40% better, is it worth it for you to continue then with that, with that protocol uh, for another month. So do another small bottle or maybe buy one from a different company. It doesn't matter to me. And you try that. If you get stuck to 30, 40% improvement, then maybe add something to it and maybe that gets you to 80, 90% and you're going to be fine with it. Right. There are also people who go, like the, the, the typical example is the whole glucosamine chondroitin for people with arthritis. And I said, just do the glucosamine for three weeks. If you don't notice any difference, it's not your product. And and simply, um, people just go on it for years. And, and I ask them, is it working? I said, I don't know, not really. I said, well, why do you keep taking that then? Then find something else. Come in, talk, and just get something else, maybe a complex of something. It's not about the... Um, it's not about the the dietary supplement. It can also be with with medication. How many people have gone to the doctor and simply because the doctor says this will work for you, the placebo effect in a way in their mind makes them feel better. They've done all kinds of 
three-party oh. testings on 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 yeah. simple old placebo effect, giving them a sugar pill. They feel better, not as much as the people who took the actual medication, but there is an improvement. So is it mental? How much of it is mental? How much is it that they believe that they can heal and that the person they talk to says, I can heal you, that they feel they can work with that person and is making them better? So the body has a tremendous power to heal. And, and, and part of that is also we talked earlier about diagnosis, myth and myth understandings. People who are being diagnosed with cancer, for example, uh, we had a discussion about this earlier, folks, where I said, if a doctor says to you, you got about a year to live, that is a mental imprint in your brain that people start counting down the days. And they either die they start before predicting that. their own demise. And if they go a week longer, and I go a year, you got a whole year to work on yourself. You know, start working on yourself. What can you do diet wise? What can you do supplement wise? What can you do surgery wise? What can you do? You got a full year. You know, and and I feel that people mentally get so involved in this diagnosis that they are forgetting their own healing power that they've used their whole life. Are you, are you focusing on, I mean, have you dealt with that, Natalie? Absolutely. There's a, a beautiful uh, uh, case study of a gentleman who was uh, diagnosed. To, uh, he actually was dealing with a stage four cancer, and I don't even recall what type it was. This is just more of a, a placebo study. And yeah. um, and so he uh, there was nothing else they could do as far as the conventional treatment for his disease. And so he was enrolled... Um, in a in one of the research studies in which they were using a, a high powered new chemotherapy drug, and he took that uh, as one of the um, people in the study, and he was he was cured, and it was um, later about oh I don't know how long later, but anyway he had a cure. He didn't show any signs of the cancer, and. Um, a short while later, they completed the study. In fact, they had to discontinue it because they decided that the drug had too many side effects and was not effective. Huh. And he promptly died wow. of his cancer. Huh. So, you Amazing. know, when he, when he thought he was cured, that he had the drug, he was fine. And when he, uh, he uh, found that out, and actually, I think in his case, he was getting the placebo. Really, but he was worried. was healing anyway. Yeah, he was. Wow. Um, and there are a lot of there are a lot of um, uh, right now. I'm really looking into spontaneous cures and spontaneous remissions. And, yes, and there is a big difference between a spontaneous cure and a, a remission. A remission just means that your your uh, state of cancer that you're in is either held at bay, so it's it's not progressing, or maybe it's regressing to some degree. But a spontaneous cure is when they actually find no evidence of it still within the body. And there are a number of uh, studies out there, but I'm working with a gentleman. His name is William Bengston, and he, uh, bengstonresearch.com is his website. It's a wonderful website. He um, started studying this about 35 years ago, and um, he's now becoming far more mainstream in, in medicine. In fact, he spoke with a group of about 3,000 oncologists or, or cancer specialists uh, not uh, too long ago, and, um, and he received a standing ovation from them for his research. But mm. in his research, um, 
he talks about spontaneous cures and he worked with a, a man who was psychic in his early career. Um, and this gentleman taught him how to do what he felt like was happening during the time he would work to, uh, not work, but during the time he was interacting with someone who wanted a cure from their cancer. Yeah. And so he taught this, this method that he was using to this researcher, William Bengston. And William Bengston has since uh, put it on his website. You can get it. It's, he, he's a man who wants to make uh, these things accessible to people at a minimal cost. So you can go on and, and learn the method for $35. Uh, oh, wow. It's a very, very simple method, although it's actually more difficult to, to do correctly because what the method does is it, it helps you switch from your, um, from your left brain to your right brain. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and that's really all the method is doing. So, so normally we're in the, the part of our brain where we do and we work at something and we make it happen. It's our willpower part of our brain. And when it comes to the studies on spontaneous healing, it does not come through will. So it's not just a matter of deciding that you're going to make your cancer go away and you're going to live. That's not the way it goes. It's, it's the other part of the brain where you have to sit back and just be there and allow what's happening. And, um, and so that's part of the research that he's done, but um, uh, just really uh, an interesting, um, an interesting man. They're still doing some of the animal studies. He's looking for a, a lab right now to complete the last two studies before they um, actually put this out on the market and um, and make it accessible to people uh, so that they can at least, you know. Um, learn the method and see how it works for them in, in a research protocol. Is it Bengston, B-E-N-G-S-T-E-N or S-T-O-N? I think it's S-T-O-N. And um, his name is William Bengston. Um, he's probably got, I, I, I think, probably over 20 different research uh, projects. projects that huh. he's published in various journals. And, yeah. Um, very interesting man, but um, well worth... Um, looking into yeah, wow. it. Wow, very good. Well, and there's there's so many different um, case studies and different incidences where people have spontaneous healing, spontaneous, um, you know, they've had a dramatic symptom reversal in a very short period of time. Right. And, and it always comes down to letting go sure. of, <laughs> yeah. of being in control and and being proactive in becoming more purposeful, becoming more aware, and then allowing allowing the healing to take place because resistance to change is the thing that we, as humans, that's our most strongest emotion. Yes. And we resist that because we've been told we're going to have breast cancer or we've been told we only have one year to live or whatever. And then so you just have that programming in your mind that this is a disease process which is going to have this particular course. Yeah. And and I think, you know, Natalie's in a unique situation where she can understand both sides of that, mm -hmm. where you have to be, you know, you're expected to be realistic with a with a patient, but at the same time, what do you actually what do you actually say? Right. Um, you know, I, I was talking about this before we started the show that um 
as a physician, people come in, if they have a diagnosis of a cancer, that one of the first questions they ask is, how long do I have? And, and they want an answer. You're, you're supposed to be the, the uh, authority on knowing this, you know, how long a particular cancer is going to allow somebody to live. Yeah. Uh, and partly they want to be able to plan. They want to be able to plan their life and, and make some decisions. And at the same time, you don't want to have to put a time limit on anybody's time. Yeah. And um, I know in the in my own experience, a lot of times I would um, kind of just get an idea in my head of what I thought, and then I would double that until I realized that no amount of doubling or tripling was going to help them because either way, whether I said it was going to be three years or three months or 10 years, 10 years was not going to be enough. And, you know, and it's best to be able to kind of not give any kind of prognosis like that. And, and the other thing that I found with my cancer patients um, over time was I got them to the point where we, we would, I would say, you know, this is like heart disease. This is like diabetes. This is like a disease that we don't cure. We don't cure heart disease or diabetes. We just treat it and we make it, make it so the person is functional and they have a good quality of life. Mm. And that's how I approach any type of cancer that I was dealing with, uh, with people is um, to help them find a way to live with it. But how do you deal with it now, with everything that you've gone through and the practice that you're having right now? You're not in private practice anymore. You're not the surgeon, the, the, the doctor. I, I tell you, right now, I'm looking at what cures. I'm, I'm looking for what's out there that actually will right. so will bring be- about a cure. So do somebody. you believe in the case of cancer, absolutely. for example, that it is a death sentence? Oh, no. No, of course not. Oh, absolutely not. No. In fact, um, you know what's interesting about some of the research studies of William Bengston is when he started working with the, the lab mice, um, the psychic that he was working with dropped out of the studies. He would not participate in them. And so... The, the people that Bill Bengston was working with said, well, you better be the, the healer then because we've got to have somebody doing these, these studies. We have all these mice and nobody to do the healing. And he said, well, I'm not a healer. Um, but, but this gentleman had taught him what he thought was going on. So Bill Bengston used that. And in his first study, when he was dealing with the mice, one of the big things that happened is these were mice dealing with uh, breast cancer cells, mammary cancer, and the longest life span of any mouse in history had been 27 days with this type of cancer. And so so that was the standard at that time. And um, what happened was he was supposed to hold the cage with the mice in it for 15 minutes a day and do this technique in his brain to help his brain disconnect from from uh, the intention. And so he would, um, he went through this study and the, you know, the mice were injected. He started the healing and the mice started to get the tumors. And he said, well, obviously I'm not a healer. That's why they're getting these tumors. And, and uh, he said, "I, I think we should euthanize them. And they said, no, no, we just started the study. You can't do that yet. So they convinced him to continue it for several more days and, you know, the tumors uh, appeared and they got bigger. And he said, well, obviously, you know, this is not working. I think we need to stop. And they said, no, no, these mice are looking really good. The mice in the other 
control group in the other lab looked terrible. And these mice are bouncing around in the cage, and they're furry, and their eyes are bright. And so they convinced him to continue it. And the the tumors got larger, and they got uglier, and they uh, eventually turned black. And then they started to implode. They started to de- uh, uh, degenerate, is what they did. Reabsorb. And reabsorb, and they went away, and the mice lived for their full two years lifespan. So... But he had, at the time they said the other mice weren't doing well, he had gone and looked in the other lab. And uh, two mice were in the corner, and they were they had uh, died already. And the other three mice were huddled looking terrible in the other corner. Huh. And those three mice went on to develop the tumors. They got large. They got uh, necrotic, they imploded, and they disappeared. And those three mice lived for the first, for the full two years. Wow. So then they injected these mice tissue into other mice that they tried to inject cancer cells to get to grow in the new mice, and they would not grow. Sure. They would not grow. And if the mice had been injected and grew tumors and they got injected with the tissue from the original mice, it would, um, they would develop large tumors that then imploded and uh, and disappeared. Wow. Amazing. Wow. So, it's really something. Yeah. Interesting research. It is. Yeah. It is. Well, I and I and I agree with you. I do not think that cancer is a death sentence. No. But it's. Uh, we also know it's big business. So Absolutely. so many people <laughs> spent most of their savings on the last month of their life right yes and uh, right. it's really a sad there's, there's no mercy and something needs to come to a halt well it, you know we you need know, to keep educating people because um we need to keep passing the word you know talk to people and show the results and i've seen that well we have we, we at the end of the break uh caller uh, please Hold do on. me a favor call us back later we'll talk to you then folks stay tuned because there's a lot more where all this came from we'll be right back Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining today's program. What is your name? How can we help you, please? Uh, good morning, everyone. This is Steve-O. Hi, Steve-O. I, uh, I got your messages. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was just a little off-air humor. That was good. Very good. Yeah. You know, uh, today I, I'm glad to hear you guys talking about the missing link, and I'm not talking about evolution. You know, when they uh, study cultures for health and longevity, you know, they look at diet and they look at genetic predisposition and any number of things. And stress is often included, but it usually takes a back seat, you know, in the discussion. Yeah. So I'm really glad, you know, that you're bringing that out as you often do, Jacobus. But, you know, you know, when we, we stress, the communication is intensified between the hypothalamus and pituitary. And that just causes the adrenal glands to produce an inordinate amount of, of these stress hormones, you know, primarily mm-hmm. dopamine. Yes. Epinephrine or adrenaline, norepinephrine, and especially you know cortisol, right. and yes. it's I believe the imbalance and the overproduction of these things that cause the problem. Because if this is long term or a chronic you know situation where a person is constantly stressed out, whether they realize it or not, you know clinical research has linked this to all kinds of problems. You know with the heart circulation. I mean, uh, chronic stress is 
know, been linked to shrink, have a shrinking effect on the prefrontal cortex and the even uh, decline in the hypothalamus. Absolutely. And everybody knows, I guess, about adrenaline, epinephrine, its effect on, you know, blood pressure, the heart, you know, arrhythmias, all kinds of blood vessel constrictions. Yes. So I'm just got, glad you guys are bringing that out because I think that, I mean, everybody's always looking at diet and these other factors, which they are important. You know, don't get me wrong. But I think this is probably equally as important, if not more so. And I guess yeah. that's where I'd like you guys to take the discussion because, you know, this is something that's, I think, not talked about as often as some of those other, you know, factors that affect our overall health and longevity. And uh, thanks for taking my call. But uh, yeah, thanks, I just wish you guys would just delve into that just a little more because I think it is just a vital link. Uh, you know, when so many times people pass away and they've been, you know, doing everything right. You know, I think a gym fix, yes. you know, and their diet and their exercise routine, their regimen and everything. And yet the stress factor is not, I think, given as much priorities as it should. And, and thank you for taking my call. And I just uh, appreciate the program today, guys. Thank you, Steve. Thank all, you, Steve. All the best. Um, Absolutely. You know, you know I, I, yeah, go ahead. Carol. Well, I went to the stress management course. It's an instructor course. And I was, you know, back in what, 06 or so. Mm -hmm. And it was in a, it was an amazing course because it does affect so many different areas of our bodies and understanding and having your personal tool chest of how you deal with stress. So no matter what that is, you have to successfully develop a tool chest of your very own of what works for you yes. in a place where you can completely let go and de-stress. And that's a that's a critical component to health. And it's statistically proven, but it's not necessarily embraced. And if you don't put it on your schedule, it is not going to happen. No. And and how many people wear the stress on the sleeve? A lot of people carry it internally. If he talks about Jim Fix, the runner, mm -hmm. we don't know what was going on in his life, what stressed him out, what bothered him. Maybe he was physically pushing his body to run. To run, 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 but was not feeding this, the body to do that kind of running enough. Right. You know, you, that is quite a demand that you put in your body. And that is, again, the coach in the mind says, let's do this. And the body says, hey, you got to feed me first. But it's mind over matter for a lot of people. And then, and, and to add to that, the people, so many people carry the stress inside. You literally do not know. And all of a sudden they've committed suicide and you go like, what, what just happened here? So Steve-O's point is well taken because it is a uh, it is a driving force behind, and we were talking about anger uh, during the break, what anger, the effect of anger on our system uh, is that can be very devastating. Absolutely. And I also have come to realize that stress management is different for different people. So you have one person who believes that you have to be a marathon runner, and that's the definition of health. Yeah. Well, to me, me personally, marathon running is not something that would be necessarily helpful for me. But if I spend an hour a day swimming in a warm pool, that's my de-stress. Other people love to run that marathon and it's the perfect thing for them. So that's why you have to customize it just to you and nurture yourself, Yeah, nurture who you are, nurture your nature and understand that if you're a fast-moving, hard-working go-getter, your version of exercise and in de-stress won't be running a marathon. It might be something more like Pilates yes. or swimming yeah. or something like that. That's right. So Good you have point. to really adjust that. 
Okay, she so would. Natalie and I had a great conversation that Steve-O talked about in terms of positive cultures. And we had a really great discussion early this morning on centurions and what that looks like. People who live to be 100 years plus. There are, there are populations around the world where there's a high concentration of people who live to be over 100. And there was a, a large study that was done a few years ago on this. And they went to um, various places around the world where there were these pockets of, of uh, a number of people living to be greater than 100 to decide what were the common denominators among these groups of, of people in these different countries around the, uh, yeah, around the world. And um, some of the things that came up were some uh, very common things among the different groups. And um, Carol wrote some of them down for us here. I'm going to try to remember all of them. But one was um, that these people, even though they did not necessarily exercise throughout their lifetime or have a real strong uh, um, impulse to have an exercise routine and and be physically fit, they were always active. So they would always choose to do things physically rather than to be sedentary. And and it was, um, you know, just something even into their hundreds, they were still physically active, physically walking places instead of riding and, and physically doing things around their home, whether it was gardening or something that just got them out and around. Cooking and, their own food, you know, just yes. staying active somehow. Uh, stay, stay in a routine that works for them. Absolutely. Um, another another common denominator were people who had um, a definite purpose for what their life was about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, in Okinawa, there were a number of, mo- mostly these were women centurions in this, in this population that they studied there. And these were women who were still part of the, caregiving of the family. So, so you know, she might be 100 years old, but she would be taking care of the infant great-great-grandchild who was just born. And and you could just see in, in this woman's eyes when she talked about this great-grandchild how much that was her purpose for living. And, yeah. Um, it, it, was, it was very huge, but this was common in that culture. And yes. um, social connections. Um, there was a group of... of uh, I believe Seventh Day Adventists who were located somewhere in either Colorado or Utah, and uh, every Sunday, as part of the family uh, community group, they all would go out and take a walk in nature. And it was a family group that was walking. It wasn't just you know a, a, the the little ones went out and you know with the big ones. It was the entire family unit that would go for a walk and. Um, and in this particular community uh, of Seventh-day Adventists, they had several, they had a higher concentration than the normal population of centurions. Huh. Um, oh, and eating, that was the other eating. one. Eating. Yeah. Eating was uh, interesting. What they determined in all these groups was um, that they tended to not be people that were overeating. Um, particularly in the Okinawan uh, group, they had um, a saying or a cultural saying that that they would eat till they were about 80% full. But across the board, all of these different groups of centurions, they were not overeaters. They were they were moderate eaters. They, you know, they ate for pleasure and to feel good, but not necessarily overeating. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Combination of uh, different things. I agree with you. A number of things and 
you know, just uh, things that de-stress them, I think, too. That kind of yeah. goes back to that original story of somebody living on purpose, really enjoying their food, has has those connections. Yeah, the 93-year-old yeah, grandma. Yeah, grandma, who, who is such a great living example of those types of uh, habits and and perspective and positive outlook. So uh-huh. it's a really fascinating way to to look at health. Yeah. As opposed to looking at avoidance. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, let's see here. Um, so the the thing for me is is that I um, look at some of these topics that we have that we can talk about, and one of the ones that 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 has been so much in the news is the whole depression cycle. I see that somehow in Montana, a lot of people are depressed. Right. And a lot of people, there is, uh, well, now number one in the country in suicides. Yep. And I, it is it is so sad, so sad that this is happening. And I, uh, there are different reasons why I can say that is why it is. Uh, on the other hand, uh, and then we look at homicides. Uh, people try to outdo each other with the guns these days. And so we're talking about prescription drugs, antidepressants, Ritalin, even included, uh, Prozac, uh, the combination of certain or certain medications. Um, what is your take on that? Is that a topic you even want to touch on, or you don't even dare to touch on it? You know, I think I think we have twelve minutes left and a caller, <laughs> so I don't I don't I mean I have a take on that, but um, I. I actually have a just a case study, and you can take with it what you want. Is yeah. was a client who came in. He was actually a pharmacy student, finished his PhD, was having a hard time that last year of school, and went on an antidepressant. And the antidepressant did not react well with him. He became suicidal, incredibly depressed, horrible psychological implications for him. And so he thought, I cannot do this. I'm going to go off because it made it worse. So he went off the antidepressant, it stayed the same. Nothing improved when he went off of it. Mm-hmm. So he tried a different medication, and it also did not make a change. And finally, he came in, basically it was a, a chemical damage to his neurological system and his brain and, and his neurotransmitters. And we we worked with nutrition, we worked with homeopathy, he did hyperbaric, we went through a series. And he, he said, I have to... my he feels much better. He's he's come out of that. He's working towards, you know, some better things. He goes, the biggest thing is he's pretty darn angry and realizing that he just finished a PhD and something he is not going to be able to sleep at night and pass these medications mm. out. Mm. He says, I can't give these to people. Wow. Knowing that that's even a possibility, no matter how rare it is. Yeah, yeah, he goes, yeah. maybe I'm one in five million, but I can't sleep at night knowing that I could possibly be the instrument for handing that medication out to somebody who could react the way that I did because he almost lost his life over it. Yeah. So the way that we interact, like we talked about even with melatonin being an adjutant versus a versus something that's rela- relaxing yes. is um, there's a risk when you when you take something that it it anything it can backfire. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an idiopathic reaction. Yeah. I mean, you've dealt, Natalie, you've dealt with it in your practice. I'm sure people come in and want to have your advice and then maybe say, I really want to be on an antidepressant. Uh, at present. Uh, how do you react to something like that? You know, uh, one of the uh, instructors in our current program 
is a psychiatrist in uh, Colorado, and um, uh, he works mostly with children, but in general, he has a lot of problems with prescribing the antidepressants that are out there, uh, not just with children, but children, but with people in general. And um, and one of the difficulties is that the studies, when you start to look at the evidence, have been skewed. Part of the reason they're skewed is because the only the only research reports that came out were the ones that showed positive effect. Yeah, all of the negative studies never got published. Mm. So you know, based on the positive effect studies, you know, you could look and say, well, yes, it looks like this drug is really effective. But when you looked at it overall, it had very little effective list, uh, effectiveness when you compared all of the studies that were both uh, both positive and negative for the drug that was being studied. I see. And um, and when we started looking at some of the um, the herbal things that are out there, they several of them could be just as effective in people with depression and um, especially mild to moderate depression and uh, certain psychotic disorders. They could be equally effective uh, with some of these medications with fewer side effects and. So, um, you know, this is a really big topic, depression and suicide. And, yes. Uh, and, and, but you're right, Carol, there, these drugs, um, for the amount of effectiveness that you're talking about and the number of side effects that go along with them um, can be very dangerous to use. It's with, really an experiment, don't you think so? Uh, I mean, it may work for some people. It makes them more livable. But if people do not understand that the possibility is there that they may be deficient in simple minerals, right? Exactly. Simple, exactly. simple B vitamins. Could uh, be fatty something acids. as simple as that. Yeah, and 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 I tell people, uh, you know, if you want to go on the medication, there should be a begin date and an end date. Even with antibiotics, they say take it for ten days. Okay, agree or disagree with antibiotics, but they usually have an end date. Right. But with psychiatric drugs, there is no, no support. It's literally give this, give the drugs, and you may be on it for the rest of your life. And I do not believe that we are deficient in psychotic drugs. And what I what I see often is we all have there is a reason why we're dealing with this depression, with this feeling. Something happened in our life that we misunderstood. That we. Was a trauma, a traumatic brain injury. It was a rape. It was an experience. It was it was abuse. It was something that we could, if we really work on it, we should be able to name it by its name and say, "This is what happened to me." And I've never never been able to uh, to work with that. And then if you say, "Well," Uh, you know, uh, let's work on emotional freedom technique, EFT or EMDR, right. or we work with so many, uh, you so know, many therapy. Different. There's therapy before you have to go to drugs, but how many people want to spend an hour, let's say half hour driving hour, hour with a psychologist or half hour driving back to work two hours a day or once a week or once a month, however you many times you go, to actually do this for themselves and to get it out and to start a healing process where they just simply say, I'll just take the pill. And it doesn't do the long-term effect. It it, it starts creating um, um, a it's scrambling just, in the brain. The chemistry scrambles. Yeah. I have one, um, I was talking to one psychiatrist about this. It was over some mass shootings that were 
um, actually a couple of years ago, and he said that the majority of these shootings are really related to just a very few drugs which have been prescribed by people who are not psychiatrists, by a family practitioner or somebody who hasn't specialized in that, and they don't they don't even know the ramifications of what they're prescribing. Yeah. And and so just um just a word of caution. And I think maybe maybe just to end on a on a super positive note is that ah, come on, but oh, we're come going on. for it. I know. It's like <laughs> now we need another three hours to yeah. talk about depression and suicide. Yeah. This is really its own topic. But but anytime that you can if you have a, a mental disorder right? That can be from a brain injury. It can be from so many different things that can and truly easily be healed when you go back and, and cured where if you go back and do the time to, to find out what the underlying issues are, whether it's nutritional, whether it's an exposure, whether it's a, a toxin, whether it's a relationship or an emotion or how you perceived it, and that's the whole point, right? That depression is not a single factor a that symptom. you're going to take a, a a pill for and it's going to go away. It's a multifactorial disease, just like any of the others we're talking about, and it's going to require a multifactorial solution. One of the things it does. that that is a really good point, right? Because just because in this case it expresses itself in the mental and emotional doesn't mean it is. Uh, just because we don't see it, it's coming out sideways uh, in whatever right, way, right. shape, or form. Uh, uh, mental disorders and disease need to be need to be respected in order to heal it. Right. So we cannot just say, "Well, you're just crazy." Uh, somebody who had to have a leg amputated is just as handicapped as for the rest of their life. Like somebody who has a mental imbalance and emotional imbalance for a combination of reasons, and for many people, it was never, the, it was not even their fault why this happened. If you've exactly. been in the war and you've been exposed to traumatic brain injury and to explosions and death and and gore and guts and all that stuff, that was not your choice. But I mean, you it's could have been your choice, of, but you were, it's part of the job. It's part of the job. But it depends how you fight that emotionally for the rest of your life. And for many people, were just ignoring the uh, the effect, the emotional effect, because somebody somebody goes in the military. We don't know how they were raised. Some of them are ADD children who now all of a sudden get off their medication when they go in the military and, and, and all of a sudden these hallucinations and thoughts come up in their mind and they have a hard time processing all that. Right. So that is, it is a complex issue that uh, I think is very fascinating and it may be an explanation why we see today in the media so many people in whatever culture and and, and religion, religious right. killings, uh, what is going on in these people's minds and emotions that needs to be addressed? Right. Well, and I think that on a on a personal level for each for each listener who's here is to find tools, find technologies, people, modalities, supplements, nutrition habits that will create a shift because if you can ease the burden ease the stress and provide something that's going to support you even one little shift a week or even a month mm -hmm. over a lifetime makes a massive difference sure. yes, massive yes, yes. difference and it has to be multifaceted if you're not dealing with your with the mind and spirit and emotional component and you're only focused on being super anal about just what you eat you're missing a lot of the different components that you need to heal and on the other hand, if you just spend all day in a corner saying, ohm, 
you might be missing out some on some other pieces as well. True. <laughs> yeah, there is a time and a place for that. And I think it all started mm-hmm. in a culture, the, the whole meditation, yoga. And we, we, so it's so popular these days. But it all started in a culture that, uh, that was much more peaceful than what we're dealing with uh, right now. It's very hard to center today and not be exposed to, to all. Yeah, you have to you choose. Have to choose. You, know? you have to be purposeful and choose. Well, we're at the end of the hour. Natalie Gonzalez, thank you so much for thank being here. Thank you very much for having us. Always, <laughs> always good to see you. And Carol Wilcock, thank you for being here. Thank you. Folks, dynamichealthtechnologies.com is the office in Helena, Dynamic Health Technologies. If you want to call them, set up an appointment for the many things that they can do for you. 406 431 7332 431 These women know what they're talking about. Stay tuned for more. We'll be back next week, Saturday, for another edition of Gesundheit with Jacobus. Talk to you then. You're listening to Gesundheit with Jacobus. 